0: Some people come into our lives and quickly go. Some stay for a while, leave footprints on our hearts, and we are never, ever the same. John Bell, the founder of Campo Kaizu, reads this every summer at Inspiration, at a camp that provides support to families with childhood cancer. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Becca, although the folks at Campo Kaizu definitely remember me as Mystique. On September 9th, 2020, I received the news that Campo Kaizu was partially destroyed by the wildfires that are becoming tragically endemic to Northern California. As I knock on the door of my 37th birthday, 20 years after my last week as a camper and 11 years after my last week as a Campo Kaizu counselor, I can say without a shred of a doubt that Campo Kaizu is one of the most important gifts I've ever received in my life. And to be fully honest, for the last year or so, I've been trying to put into words why camp is so important to me, even now. And every time I sat down to write, the words just didn't feel like they were enough. But now, with Camp Okaizu in need of help, um, I want to step up in, in the way that they helped me and my family and so many others, And it's funny because as I stepped up to help them, the story that I've been trying to write for this whole entire year finally wrote itself. And I got to tell you, the ending of this story surprised me. It wasn't the one that I thought I was going to write when I sat down to write this story. What I'm about to share is the entire 25-year journey that I've been on as a result of Campo Kaizu being introduced into my life. My Kampukaisi story begins with my sister, Emily. At six months old, my mom found a lump in Emily's uterus. She took my sister to our local hospital where our lifelong childhood pediatrician, Dr. Ribeiro referred Emily to the oncology department. When my mom called my dad to share the news, neither of my parents knew what the word oncology meant, nor had they any inkling how this word would come to define the next year of our lives. All they knew was that they had to get Emily to this midweek appointment by 3.30 and they had to figure out what to do with me, my sister, and my brother. My mom rushed to pull me and my siblings out of school and get us to our grandparents' house as quickly as possible. While we were hanging out with grandpa and grandma, Emily got admitted into the ICU. We'd find out later that she had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is a rare blood cancer. All of us now fully understood what the word oncology meant. Over the course of Emily's illness, my parents did a really good job of involving us in everything that was going on. We took a lot of family field trips to UCSF, which is the hospital where Emily got her treatment done. And one day while sitting in a conference room, a doctor passed my parents a thin trifold brochure. Inside was information about a camp that offered week-long summer camp programming for cancer patients, separate programming for their siblings and weekend programming throughout the year for the whole family and because this place understood the financial burden cancer can have on families the camp was 100 percent free with no real barrier to entry and after asking us if we wanted to go my parents signed up my sister my brother and i for our first week of sibs camp at camp okaizu in the summer of 1995, we packed our bags, hopped in our blue minivan and drove up to Nevada City, California. This is where Camp Kaizu's rented location was before they moved to their forever home in Berry Creek. The moment I stepped out of our van, a camp counselor who I'm sure had a crazy camp name asked if I wanted to learn how to make a friendship bracelet. I was already a fan of arts and crafts because of my mom's tutelage and crocheting and cross stitch, so I got to work. I wove the strings looped around my fingers into a herringbone pattern that, unbeknownst to me at the time, would come to symbolize the next 15 summers of my life. My brother and sister had already faded into their own age groups, and my parents were already forgotten. In the next week, I'd swim in the lake, run on the old PJ's flat, eat s'mores, paddle around in a bright yellow Fun Yak, spit watermelon seeds during the carnival, and sing and dance to silly songs around a campfire about crazy characters like Tadger and Rags and Princess Pat and the wishy-washy washerwoman. I'd marvel at the fact that there were these grown people with crazy names who threw hot dogs at me this one time during lunch. I sang Alanis Morissette songs with my cabin group and being careful to censor out all the swear words was praised by our counselors. I connected with other girls and boys who would become some of the most important people in my young life. Amidst the fun and the games and the joy, I also remember a more somber time when my cabin group and I sat down to talk about our feelings regarding our siblings having cancer. I listened to the stories of unwitting neglect, and loneliness and sadness and confusion. I shared my own story and I cried with all these other girls whose lives had been forever impacted by the destructive force that is childhood cancer. It was the first time I remember ever sharing my feelings about anything. It was so incredibly powerful. When this blissful first week ended, I didn't want to go home. There was just something magic about Campo Kaizu. Okaizu was more magic than TV, more magic than Disneyland, and way more magic than that one Girl Scout camp I had been to. But home we went, and I returned to the cycles of hospital visits and middle school dramas and uncertainty about Emily's future. Only difference between this round and the round that came before camp was that this time I had cool pen pals who had experienced the magic of camp and understood what I was going through in the real world. After a few rounds of chemotherapy, Emily's cancer went into remission. Her doctors proposed a bone marrow transplant as a way to create long-term health for her. We found out that I had matching bone marrow and all we needed was for her to stay in remission long enough for her tiny body to be able to handle the stress of the procedure. Unfortunately, the ALL was too strong. Emily's cancer relapsed. She did one last round of chemo to try to push her into remission, but that failed and then Emily only had one option left. The doctors told my parents that there was experimental treatment available, but it might be really harsh for a patient her age and could result in pretty severe health complications down the road. My parents made the terrible choice that they felt was the right one for Emily. They chose not to move forward with her treatment. As we entered into the palliative care stage, Emily spent her last months at home, sometimes hooked up to a cassette player looking machine that pumped meds into her body with an octopus-like profusion of tubes. A bright light in her short time here on Earth, when Gloria Estefan would come on the radio, she still moved to the music with the tiny bit of energy she could muster. We watched, helpless, as her small form began to waste away. As she got thinner and dark circles started to become permanent under her eyes, My parents told her she could let go, that she didn't need to hold on for us anymore. The very next morning, 11 months after this had all started and cradled in my mother's arms, Emily let go. After Emily died, it wasn't sure we were going to return to Camp Okaizu. In his understandable grief, my father didn't feel it was right to keep receiving Okaizu's gifts now that Emily was gone but we told him that there were lots of bereaved kids there. We were persistent in telling him how much fun it had been and how many friends we had made and how much we loved it there. Eventually he agreed that we should go back. As my parents navigated the grief of losing a child, we signed up for summer camp again and our whole family signed up for a family camp weekend specifically for bereaved families. What my mom learned and shared with me after that weekend changed me and still helps me in times of loss. During family camps, there are breakout sessions for parents to process what it's like to experience the impact of childhood cancer. In her session, during this bereavement weekend, my mom was exposed to all the different ways that bereaved parents grieve. A style that was painful for her to witness was what she described as parents focusing on death, and ignoring all that was alive around them, especially when this experience of death was up to 10 years in the past. While my mom recognized that everyone is entitled to grieve in their own way, she told me that she didn't think focusing on death is what Emily would want for us. My mom made it clear to me that the way to honor our sister's short life was to let go of her and to live fully. At some point after that, at 12 years old, I made a secret vow to myself to live my life twice as hard because Emily never got her shot. Once it was clear camp was going to be a regular tradition in our summers, I looked forward to those weeks of play and fun and respite and connection all year long. Long before the era of cell phones, I wrote letters and later emails to my camp friends to stay in touch. My siblings and I started traveling to camp on the bus so that we could start our camp experience earlier and so that we could stave off the inevitable post-camp sadness just a few more hours when the week ended. As I transitioned into adolescence, many of the usual pains of teenhood still happened at camp, but didn't seem to divide people at camp like they did in the real world. There was simply too much ice cream to be made, too many friendship bracelets to be woven, too much laughter to be had, too many campfires to attend, and too much solidarity between us because of our reasons for being there. Campo Kaizu counselors brought the fun. And to me, they were the absolute coolest people in the world. As they led songs at campfires and led special interest classes and guided my cabin groups through the week, they all seemed so strong and so fun and so grown up. I definitely knew that I wanted to be one. At the age of 17, most Camp Kaizu campers have the choice to either stay campers or to begin the transition to counseling. Without much hesitation, my tightly knit camp clique and I decided to enroll in Camp Kaizu's junior staff program. In that year, I shapeshifted from camper Rebecca to counselor Mystique, and the method behind the Okaizu magic was revealed to me. Through the junior staff program, and then each subsequent year during staff training, I was exposed to the crystal clear and unyieldingly high behavioral expectations for camp Okaizu counselors. Honed over years of experience and Fun yak tested with decades worth of campers, Okaizu magic is simple in theory, but complex in execution. I learned that the role of every counselor was to put the kids first, give them unconditional love, no matter how difficult they could be, and engineer inclusion at every possible moment. Sib's camp counselors had the extra task of making siblings of cancer patients, the center of attention in a way they often weren't in their lives outside of camp. Having been the beneficiary of the energy and the love and the attention of the Rizzo's and Cisco's and Mars and Vanes and Nurse Kathy's and Dr. Mike's and Susie's and Bassmasters and Betas and Gonzo's and Crafties, I took my role as a counselor really seriously. Over my eight summers as mystique, I did everything I could to make Campo Kaizu feel better than school, feel better than any other summer camps, and feel better than life out in the real world. I sang as loud as I could at campfires, put my full body into becoming that penguin going to tea, and invited every kid standing on the sidelines to dance with me like a crazy person at camp dances. I really did my best to live the message of being one's special and important self that Sibs Camp is all about. And while my actions were definitely for the kids, I would be lying if I said that I also wasn't doing it because it made me feel amazing and powerful there was nothing more satisfying than when at the end of the week of being the hype I wanted to see, campers would give me a huge hug, tell me they didn't want to go home and share that this had been the best week of their year. To give what I had received for so long was deeply meaningful and incredibly satisfying. Being a camper was a beautiful gift, but spending my summers as a counselor was where Okaizu became an inseparable part of how I move through this world. By spending my summers working side by side with my siblings, Jungle and Hurricane, who, real talk, were much better counselors than I ever was, our relationship somehow leveled up from being cordial blood relatives to being lifelong friends. Being a counselor at Okaizu was my first exposure to the reality that when you live any part of your life in service to empowering others, you can't help but empower yourself in the process. By giving me one of my first platforms to live in service, Camp also helped me blossom into adulthood with brightly colored petals open as wide as they possibly could be. And if the gifts of Okaizu had stopped there, I would already consider myself one of the luckiest humans on earth, but the gifts definitely didn't stop there. The love forward practices and philosophies of Camp Kaizu reached far wider than the boundaries of PJ's flat and far higher than the tallest obstacle at the ropes course. What I learned about organizational leadership, team building, and creating safe spaces influenced the work that I began doing out in the real world as a budding sexuality education professional. Okaizu was there when I altered my favorite camp game, Boppity Bop Bop Bop, to teach sexual and reproductive anatomy terminology to several years worth of high school aged peer educators. Not only did forming uterus and testes with their bodies while shouting the terminology out loud bring my sex ed squads together over some serious giggles, but this altered camp game helped them cultivate the confidence and comfort they needed to stand up in front of classrooms of kids their age and spit wisdom about sexual health. Okaize was there when I made conscious choices to structure my classrooms to intentionally foster love inclusion and the emotional safety needed to be vulnerable based on crystal clear behavioral expectations with unyieldingly high standards. And while I'm stoked about how much knowledge I was able to impart on my students over the course of my time with them, what I'm really proud of in this work was the transformation I saw in their interpersonal skills and the way they came to value themselves more and more each week. In classrooms that smashed together kids of all colors, sexualities, backgrounds, and social statuses, I constantly got feedback at the end of the year where my students were like, this was the one place where I felt safe to share my hardships and be my full self. Camp Kaizu gives this gift to thousands of participants each year. And I still take satisfaction in knowing that I passed that gift forward to an additional few hundred over the course of my career. Although I didn't know it at the time, my last year at Camp Okaizu would be at age 25 in the year of the swine flu pandemic. I would spend my final week of sibs camp as a counselor to the oldest boys on Harmony Ridge paired with one of my best camp buddies, Fordock. Counseling my favorite age group with a strong co-counselor who was also my homie it was a literal dream come true. It's a gift that I still can't believe Susie gave to us, and as a result of this unbelievable match, my career as a Campokaizu counselor ended on the highest possible note. Despite not stepping foot on the hallowed grounds of Campo Kaizu since 2009, Camp stayed with me. As I deepened my practice as an educator, facilitator, and coach, I kept altering camp games and kept creating spaces where young people and adults could be openly vulnerable and learn how to live outwardly in a way that aligned with what was inside of them. In 2017, I came to see that unlike Okaizu, our system of school is not really based on love, acceptance, or fostering authenticity. Year after year, as I watched students wilt instead of blossom, no matter how much love I personally threw at them, I came to a deep sense of knowing that I wasn't in the right place anymore. Following that inner voice, I left my 12-year sexuality education career behind. I traveled to a permaculture farm and spiritual healing center in the middle of an ancient forest next to a lake in Chilean Patagonia, and Ocaizu was with me. I brought sexual and reproductive anatomy boppity bop 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 to a group of 40 adults from all over our planet, and it was as hilarious as you might imagine. Amidst the laughter and the joy of this place, my old life died, and I began to focus on bringing new life to an existence dedicated to environmental repair. As I sit here today telling the story, I'm currently on an adventure to figure out what I can do within the power I have to build a better future on a thriving earth. A big part of my journey has been exploring what peacemakers, philosophers, scientists, spiritual leaders, social entrepreneurs, and everyday people working locally think we're going to need as a human species to transform our world to one where life is meaningful, just, and ecologically regenerative. Through my years long journey through books and conversations and reconnection to nature, I've come to a beginner's knowledge that each of us has a powerful and unique way we are meant to build a better future. In my journey to find my own answers, I've made mistakes, tried to be someone who I'm not, thought I needed to rebuild myself completely and also happened to ride a 130 pound bamboo touring bike up and over the Pyrenees along the way, which was pretty dope. The entire experience opened me to myself and showed me that the most powerful thing I can do right now to contribute to a better future is to heal myself into wholeness and to stop defining myself and my happiness by external factors. I've come to discover that what makes me feel whole is giving away my life enriching skills of storytelling, facilitation, and coaching without charging people and without expecting anything in return for my services. I feel whole when I listen to myself and follow my deep inner voice in whatever crazy direction it takes me. I feel whole when I live by my values and shine my authentic light as brightly as I can, no matter how hard this may be sometimes. As I get better at dancing my unique and sometimes wacky dance of healing and wholeness and giving without expectations, I'm starting to help people on the sidelines to join me on this dance floor of healing and wholeness and leading with love. Kinda like I did all those summers at Okaizu. Now here is the point in the writing of the story where I really began to struggle. You see, when I sat down to write this, I had an idea for the deeply profound ending that I would write. I would thank Okaizu for helping me understand that Emily's death brought an an enormity of gifts to my life. I would thank all the people who make Camp Okaizu possible for inspiring me and giving me the skills to become an agent of service and helping me help young people for so many years i would thank kampo kaizu for teaching me the power of gift economy and sh- for showing me that love is always the way forward and while all of this is true in trying to control the outcome of this story and trying to control the ending my deep inner voice was like nah girl that ain't it you haven't quite cracked the depth of what being a part of kampo kaizu meant to you So as I tried to close this story out, I followed an instinct. I went to Okaizu's website and I looked up the meaning of the word Okaizu. Okaizu comes from the Sioux language and it means unity, to come together, to heal from a hurt, to make whole. So I gotta be real, as I read this right now, chills are running through my entire body. And when I first read it, I cried unexpected dirty tears of joy because I've known for a long time that Okaizu is this really profound part of me, but it wasn't until actually sitting down to write this story that Okaizu's impact on my life made itself known with such deep clarity. The seeds planted in me by Camp Okaizu as a child and nourished throughout my young adulthood are now in full bloom. Okaizu is the way I build a better future. Mystique's Epilogue, How You Can Help. If you just went through my experience of Okaizu and you really want to contribute to this wonderful place who shows all of these people going through hardship so much love and does it for free, uh, make a donation. So the first way that you can help is through a donation. You can go to okaizu.org slash match. That's O-K-I-Z-U dot O-R-G slash M-A-T-C-H. And until the end of September, they have a donor who is matching donations dollar for dollar up to $100,000. So whatever tiny amount that you can give, it will be doubly helpful in helping Okaizu recover from the damage of the fires. If time is something that you have on your hands, Okaizu always needs volunteers. You can subscribe to their newsletter for updates and information about when they're looking for volunteers. And you can also check out the volunteer section of their website to figure out ways to get involved. If you are a part of the Okaizu community, one of the ways that they've been asking you to help is by sharing your Okaizu story. If you are struggling to share your story, if you're struggling to get the story of how Okaizu has impacted your life out there and you want some help, I am here to help you. All you have to do is email me at Becca at Limitless.Eco. That's B-E-C-C-A at limitless.eco. Get in touch with me. Tell me you're a part of the Okaizu community and that you want to share your story, but you're struggling. I would be more than happy to help you. And just like Okaizu um, is a gift, so are my services. It will cost you nothing other than your time and your willingness to share yourself with me. Now that you know how you can help, I just have one final thank you and one final wish for the community members of Campo Kaizu. To Susie, John Bell, Dr. Mike, Tadger, and all of the Campo Kaizu counselors and administrators who touched my life, I know that I owe you nothing for what you've given me, but I really wish for you to know that I wouldn't exist in the way that I do in this world without the footprints each one of you has left on my heart. Thank you for the way that you've impacted my life And thank you for the way that you continue to positively impact our world. For those of you who are the heartbeat of Okaizu right now, I wish for you the gift the camp gave to my life. I wish for you the eyes to see the gifts that can come from loss and the capacity to transform death into the fuel for a brighter future those of you who are still here listening, thank you so much. I truly hope you go out there and help Campo Kaizu. And again, if you're a part of the kampo Kaizu community and you need help telling your story, please get in touch with me. I'd be happy to help you tell it.